T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Report. The CV report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Abrams tank. Honey, take the wheel. I'm going to stick my head out of the sunroof. Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The C.V. Report. Welcome to another episode of the C.V. Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And the C.V. Report is powered by Radio.com, your top free radio app for sports, music, news, talk. Listen to hundreds of radio stations from around the country and thousands of podcasts, including the latest podcast that I'm pleased to be a part of. It's called To War and Back. It's where I follow three incredible combat veterans, and we talk about their journey from cheating death in Iraq and Afghanistan to surviving, uh, to fighting battles they faced when they got home. Former Marine Corps Sergeant and Helicopter Door Gunner Kirsty Ennis will take you on her journey from losing her leg to inspiring people all over the world right now. Marine Corps veteran Major Scott Husing and author of the book Echo and Ramadi will talk about what combat was really like and what warfighters and frankly anyone needs to know about dealing with trauma and drama. And the inspiring story of Army veteran Boone Cutler who fought on the streets of Sadr City will take us through a journey of getting face-to-face with terrorists, even deadlier treatments for PTS and traumatic brain injuries that took place inside Walter Reed, and the reasons that smoking some pot probably saved his life. So again, it's like medicine for your head. It's the podcast To War and Back. It's available everywhere you find podcasts, and you can listen to the entire series, all the episodes back-to-back, by downloading the Radio.com app and going to Radio.com. So, what are we going to get into today? Well, there are two very important things we're going to learn from today's podcast. One, how to escape from handcuffs. <laughs> it might come in handy on just like a Saturday night, I don't know. And how many times you should see the same face in a public place before you suspect you're being followed. And if you're being followed, what the hell to do about it? We're going to talk with former CIA officer Jason Hansen about those and many other life lessons we can learn from his book, Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life. And we'll also learn how you can just fill out an application and become a Navy officer, even if you're in your 40s. What? That's all coming up next.
All right, our next guest on Connecting Vets is no stranger to Connecting Vets, reporter and host of the CBS Eye on Veterans show, Eric Dame. How are you, sir? I'm doing quite well, Filbert. How are you? <laughs> I am good. And already, already the ball busting has begun. That's yes. just your full name. People don't realize it. Filbert Q. Briggs. It's not my full name at all. But uh, the name that we're going to talk about is in the news right now uh, is a name from the past, Reince Priebus. And as uh, you saw on our website, reporter Ben Krimmel dug up this story from the Twittersphere yesterday, where we noted that the former White House chief of staff for President Donald Trump and former chairman of the Republican National Committee became a commissioned U.S. officer in the U.S. Navy Monday in a ceremony led by Vice President Pence. And Priebus, who's 47, was commissioned as an ensign after an application process that took many months, which included a recommendation from former Defense Secretary Jim Mattis. And, um, of course, he had to have some waivers and things to get through the approval process. But this is why what I wanted to talk to you about. He's come aboard as a human resource officer with no prior military experience and, and, and just applied to become an ensign. I didn't even know this was a thing, and you told me that you knew this was a thing, but you hadn't heard of it at this level. I mean, this level hasn't existed before where it's someone who served uh, on a White House staff or who was the uh, chair of the Republican National uh, Committee, RNC. Um, you know, it, it's it's not uncommon, though, for people, particularly subject matter experts, to come into the Navy uh, without any military experience as an officer. I mean, most officers become officers without any prior military experience. So, I mean, the, the ones who are going to the Academy, ROTC, and so on. Um, but during my three years in Navy recruiting as a public affairs officer, one of my collateral duties, shall we say, was to kind of shoot down the dreams of the aspiring public affairs officers who would come in <laughs> to our officer recruiters, because I would give them the numbers and say, like, hey, you know, last year we made three public affairs officers from people coming from outside of the Navy into the Navy. The majority of them uh, on military bases, it's a collateral duty, so it's not their main job, uh, or at least what they're trained for. Uh, and then you also have the fact that along with it not being uh, it being a collateral duty for most of them, the majority who do become actual certified public affairs officers come from within the Navy. So we didn't bring too many in from outside, and when we did, they tended to be, uh, you know, news producers, people who had uh, connections and had a lot of experience within that job. And they also did the same thing for priests as well as for doctors, surgeons, dentists, particularly specialists who the military just didn't have enough of. And in fact, when you go to those medical professions, when you're talking about you know, someone who's a, a special surgeon, I remember speaking to a plastic surgeon who came into the military, and I was thinking, like, what, plastic surgery? It seems odd. And then realized it was for facial reconstruction from sure, people who sure. are wounded by IEDs and things like that. And, and that guy came in, I believe, as a commander in the Navy, which is a lieutenant colonel in all the other services, came in as an O5 immediately. No military background, no military training, but was a job that they needed. They offered it to him. He decided he wanted to do it, and it went like that. So it's not as uncommon as people might think for someone to go into the military in that manner. You touched on something that I wanted to just explore, because again, you've got more experience in the service than I do. Um, I, I wanted to ask, 
I get it when it's a scientist. I get it when it's a surgeon. I get it when it's somebody that has like such specific and needed skill that we'd be honored and glad to bring them aboard from the civilian side into the military because, you know, we desperately need their services. Um, I can even understand to some degree a PAO, especially if you're dealing with, you know, network news people or you're dealing with a gaggle of reporters outside the DOD or the Pentagon. You want somebody that's sharp. You want somebody that's an ace on camera to be able to handle the messaging. But he's going, as is reported by the Washington Post, to be a a human resource officer. Now, I don't think either of us have seen his resume, but does that seem like the kind of skill set or does that seem like the kind of job where we need an ace from the civilian sector? And Reince Priebus, what qualified him to be a human resources expert? That's a good question. I don't know what his qualifications are. I also don't know what the Navy's needs are. Now, you can say, does that seem like something where we need an expert? I have no idea, and neither do you. Only the Navy does, and it would seem that they've decided that, yes, this is an example where they do need someone to do that without going through OCS, without going through uh, the process that people normally would. I do know that he's been involved at very high levels in running organizations when you're talking about the RNC, when you're talking about uh, uh, the White House and everything that he did there, as wasn't he chief of staff at the White House. I mean, that's in large part an HR position. So those are two pretty high-level HR positions. And, you know, I've been out now for almost a decade, as hard as that is to believe, for eight years. But if they're short on people who have the qualifications that he has – then they're going to be willing to do whatever they need to do to get someone in like that. And I think here's a question that might shed some light on it, at least from our perspective and and from yours, who seems to be really questioning it. How many people, Phil, do you think enlist in the military with the goal of becoming an HR professional? Uh, Twelve. Yeah, I have no idea, but I would say it's probably not that many. Most people who go into the Navy looking to be an officer want to be pilots, want to be the captain of a ship, maybe want to be an engineer if they're one of those weirdos who doesn't like seeing the sun and working on machines and things like that. But I would say that the vast majority do not join for those admin jobs, whether it's an admin officer, a public affairs officer, uh, HR, when you're looking at that side of it, personnel, things like that, which it sounds like is what he's going to be, because I don't really know of anything called an HR officer in the Navy, but AO, admin officer, that's something I'm very familiar with. And that sounds more like the kind of thing that he's going to be involved in. And they're in charge of, uh, you know, the the YNs, the Yeomen, the PNs, the personnelmen, the DKs. I think they got merged in and became PSs, but dispersing and all that stuff. Right, right, right. I mean, honestly, I don't think any of us knows what the Navy's needs are except for the Navy. And this guy, you know, at 40-something years old, choosing to do it, I've seen a lot of people on social media saying he must have some ulterior motive. Uh, I guess maybe he could, but why do we need to assume that? I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to do something to serve his country, and, well, looks like he's going to have the opportunity to do that, whether people agree with it or not. Yeah, and I think I think it was the Washington Post that was reporting earlier uh, that he really became, I don't know, inspired or seriously compelled to join the service or to serve our country after meeting with the family of Senior Chief Petty Officer William Ryan Owens, who was a, a Navy SEAL that was KIA during a special operations raid in Yemen back in 2017. And I don't think anybody in our reporting space isn't touched by a story from time to time when you meet somebody or you get to cover 
the heroes and the stories that we get to cover every day. I mean, it's really cool. So I don't doubt his sincerity for wanting to do it. I right. just, I just think that like maybe somewhere there's a Dinfo's grad or somewhere there's like, you know, a, there's an ensign out there or somebody Oh three or below that is really waiting for their shot or could really do this well and would love to be inside the beltway and work at Naval command headquarters. And instead they give it to a guy that's kind of an inside the beltway. Politico. That's what you're saying. You're, you're describing exactly what the Navy would be looking for, for that kind of job. Someone with connections, someone who knows how things work. I mean, that's just the way that it goes. And if you can get that from someone, in this case, who's not even getting the advanced rate that we've seen in, like, medical professionals and and chaplains and things like that before, I mean, they're going to be not giving him a lot of money, and they may get quite a big return out of it because of who he is and because of who he knows through his work in politics, through his work in D.C. Um, and, And another thing that I think we do need to mention that you brought up there. He got a letter of recommendation from Mattis. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, huge. that's a guy who nobody in the military community, nobody in the political community has anything bad to say about and certainly doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would be bullied into or pressured into giving a letter of recommendation that he didn't believe in and he didn't want to give. So for me, I mean, that, that could be your be-all, end-all right there. The fact that he got the stamp of approval from General Mattis I mean, if that's if he's good enough for General Mattis, I got to assume he's good enough for me. And and the Navy, you know, I, I think people should have more of an issue with certain people being allowed to come back into service recently from the political sphere than Reince Priebus, who has a lot of experience doing what he's going to be doing in the Navy, kind of. Uh, well, again, running the RNC, being a chief of staff, that's kind of an HR type position there when you're thinking about when you really think about it. Uh, so yeah, I think this uh, I think this is. Something that comes out as possibly a win for the Navy, possibly a win for him, possibly a win for everybody involved. Uh, of course, people on social media, it involves someone who's affiliated with one of the political parties. So you know, half the people are going to hate it. The other <laughs> right, half are right. going to love it. And yeah. There's going to be very few in between. I'm one of those in-between ones saying, like, you know, let's see what the guy does. And I, I'm going to trust in both General Mattis and the United States Navy and knowing what they were doing by putting him in this position. I just think they overlooked some real gems out there. And, and, and look, I didn't have my name in the running. I didn't do any of the paperwork. Oh, I knew it was going to come down to you. I'm close to his age, and if they needed an ensign at 47, I'd have gladly raised my hand. Oh, oh no, 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 no. If you ever try to join the military as an officer, I will do everything in my power <laughs> to make sure that that does not happen. I will call in every favor that I can and tell them, Philbert Briggs is not <laughs> officer material. Let me be very clear on that. I will pound my shoe on the table like Khrushchev to make sure that they hear my point that I'm hammering home. No officer for Phil Briggs. Let him stick to making great podcasts. That's what he's supposed to be doing. Civilian or not, you'd be saluting my ass every time I walked in the office. Hell, I'd rename the lobby the quarter deck just to make you ask permission to come aboard. Oh, if you think that eight years after my military service, there's any chance that anyone could get me to do that, uh, you, sir, are uh, are kidding yourself, to say the least. Always entertaining, always good. Eric Dame, CBS Eye on Veterans host. You can hear the show on radio stations around the country, and you can see more about it at ConnectingVets.com. All right, our next guest of the podcast is a former CIA officer, a security specialist, and a New York Times best-selling author. He's the author of Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life, Jason Hansen. 
Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. Always good to have somebody that's a veteran of the pickle factory on the show. And uh, do they still call it that? <laughs> no, but of course you got me laughing just by saying that because I, that, that means you're close. You're in the know. Right. Exactly. Yes, I've had two relatives that have uh, worked in the clandestine services for, for years. I want to say I've had a family member in Langley for uh, going back to the every decade since the 60s. Tell me why they even call it the Pickle Factory. I, I kind of remember this from uh, my family members explaining it once, but doesn't it have something to do with like the presidential briefing or something? Or <laughs> I was afraid you were going to ask me that, and guess what? I don't even remember either. There's, there's so many things in the agency, so many acronyms that you just go with it because that's what everybody says, and you have no idea where it really uh, came from. Here's here's vaguely what I think, in case you ever get asked this again. I think the pickle is like an acronym for Presidential Intelligence Confidential, and then I don't know what the hell the L stands for, but like it was something having to do with like his daily brief that he would get, and it was all part of the, what every president gets. They receive a lot of information early in the morning from all the different department heads, and the pickle is what they referred to the document or the briefcase that was going to... You know, it was going from Langley to the White House to visit the president every day. So, Well, I just want you to know, while I, while I was sitting here talking to you, of course, I went to be very authoritative and never wrong Google. <laughs> and it says, well, it says the precise, the first thing, one of the things that came up says the precise meaning of the pickle factory is not known. Uh, but the CIA's intelligence briefings sent to the president were called pickles. So, so you're right. Okay. Look at us. I'll take CIA history for 500, please, Alex. We're sorry. That category is classified. It's really tremendous. My love and appreciation for what the intelligence community does is deep. And this book, completely fascinating. Um, Talk to me about how you came to write a book. Because in your industry, um, let's face it, you're not really supposed to do that. I mean, you know, the intelligence community, you you guys know things no one else is supposed to know. Well, yeah, so writing a book, if you've been in a CIA, is a very long process, meaning once you write that transcript, you have to submit it to the CIA. It's called the Publications Review Board, and they have to go through it and make sure there's no classified material, you know, there's nothing you're not allowed to say. So it's a going back and forth process, meaning I submit the manuscript, they may redact five pages, 20 pages, and then I say, well, what if I say this instead of this? And, you know, obviously I don't want to release anything classified, so it is a song and dance to be able to get anything out. Now, your book, really, uh, Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life, I mean, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, right? I mean, we're not actually talking secrets, but what are we talking about? I mean, I'm teaching people how to escape duct tape, how to pick rocks, how to become a human lie detector. So all skills that spies use, which are very, very important, um, but the stuff that's not, you know, sources or class, you know, classified locations, which I'm allowed to share. Now, did you learn this as part of your job? I mean, I realize... I know you can't say a lot about what you've done, but tell me a little bit more about your role. I mean, how would you how would you come to know how to get out of handcuffs? So I'll, I'll semi-dodge this question and say that I was very blessed to be able to learn evasive driving, to learn shooting, to learn all kinds of incredible skills from the best in the business. And that's how I have this knowledge. Plus, I was very fortunate to have some amazing mentors, some guys that spent forever the CIA and were quote-unquote legends there. And they certainly taught me a lot, too. Hmm. Okay. Well, I like how you answered that. And uh, I'll just let the mind reel. But, (laughs) of course, as a veteran, I also do interview. And I think in this, 
I think in our audience, we're kind of used to some things being left in the gray area. You know, we've you know we've talked to operators before. We've talked to people that are forward deployed on various kinds of things that you know have never really been talked about in the open. So um, I'll say that you are a well versed CIA officer, retired. Or well, here's, former. Here, here, I'll tell you a quick funny story. You obviously don't want to be on the wrong side of the agency. So before we started this interview, you mentioned how you were at Langley and you were standing on the big seal. Well, every you know CIA employee, the cliche is, of course, you get your picture in front of that seal. Well, when I left the agency, I put that seal, the picture of me on the seal on my website, and it said, you know, hey, I'm a former CIA officer, and made it very clear the word former. Well, I got a cease and desist letter from the agency that said, you can't use that picture because it looks like you work for the CIA. And I said, well, wait a minute. I, I'm making it very clear I'm former. You know, I don't work for you. And long story short, they made me take it down. So that picture is no longer on any of my websites. <laughs> and it goes to show you, like, you thought, okay, how innocuous is this? I'm done. I no longer work for them. I'm, I'm no longer a government employee. Who's looking at my Facebook page? And dun, dun. Clearly somebody is. Well, <laughs> and now I have a very good relationship. I mean, I've written three books now. And everyone has had to go through the agency, and they've been great about it. They've been easy to work with. So I definitely don't want to get them all on bad side. All right. So uh, we're learning some interesting things in this book, uh, safety, survival skills. Uh, you've been on a lot of television shows. You've been on the Rachel Ray Show. On our show, he's been handcuffed, tied up, duck duct taped to a chair. Uh, last time he was here, I actually made him bleed. I have split his lip. Um, he's got some more self-defense tips for us. He's our favorite former CIA officer. This handsome fella is Jason Hansen. Jason, everybody. Thank you. Because I'm going to show you another neat gadget. Okay. And this is a covert gadget, almost undetectable. It was created for government operatives who were going overseas and had chances of being kidnapped. It is a covert handcuff bootlace key. So I'm oh. going to show you because it is so small as I put one on the end of this. You can see how minuscule. Shut yeah, up. It's teeny. Look at that, yeah, man. There, there's not much to it. That is awesome. And just like you shared that little secret with Rachel Ray on her show and the bootlace key that's literally the size of the tip of a shoelace, uh, share with me some more interesting fun facts from the book. Well, I mean, what, what I try and tell people is listen. Spy tactics, the majority of them I can share with you, meaning they're not classified. And it's stuff like based on CIA safe houses. So how to make sure your home is more intruder-proof. How to make sure you don't suffer home invasion. Because I don't care who you are, nobody wants to have somebody kicking in their front door at 3 a.m. kind of thing. So it's, it's a lot of things that a friend of mine who's in the CIA says, spying is common sense on steroids. So it's home defense, common sense on steroids. It's self-defense, common sense on steroids. So it's how to be safer and better protected in the crazy world we live in. Hmm. Okay. Let's go down that road real quick. Um, obviously, there's things we could do to keep our home safe and keep the windows locked and keep doors locked. What are some key things people should have in their homes? Well, I'm a huge gun guy. So, I mean, on my nightstand, I've got two small portable gun safes, each with a gun. And they're the rapid access safes, so you can quickly open them. I've got young kids, so all my guns are locked up. Um, obviously flashlights. I have two flashlights on my nightstand in case one of them burns out. I got my cell phone in case, you know, to call the police. So the number one thing I tell people when I'm training them is, listen, I'm a gun guy. I realize not everybody is, but you've got to have a weapon because if your alarm goes off at 3 a.m. or your door kicks in, that's not the time to start searching for something to protect yourself. So too many people bury their head in the sand. But if you know to grab your gun, grab your knife, 
I mean, I have one young woman who uses a machete, which is awesome because she says she doesn't want a gun. But, hey, if some, you know, girl's running at you with a machete, that's still pretty darn intimidating if you ask me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, a, a woman in a butter knife would scare me, uh, you know. <laughs> and it's happened. Don't think it hasn't happened, Jason. Seriously, we'll, we'll, we'll talk later about that. Um, okay, so you mentioned flashlights. Um, that's always my thing. Like when the storms happen or something, if power goes out, you know, you're, you're kind of fumbling around for the flashlight. Obviously, you said in your nightstand or to somewhere near where you sleep. Where else are we supposed to be keeping things like flashlights and safety and survival gear? Yeah, I'm admittedly a gear junkie, meaning I got more flashlights, guns, knives, you know, camping equipment that you can shake a stick at. So when I talk about flashlights, yeah, they're in every room in the house and they're quality flashlights, meaning they're not like the $2 flashlight you buy at the gas station as you're getting your pack of gum sitting there on the counter. You know, they're, they're actually ones that can take a beating and that I can rely on. Um, a lot of them use 18650 batteries, which are rechargeable and good solid batteries. So buy quality flashlights, hopefully you don't have to use them, but yeah, have them stored everywhere because you never know where you're going to be when the lights go out. Do you subscribe to those uh, special ops in a box type subscription services too? I think like, what, what, what is it? Battle box and I'm trying to think of the other ones that I see out there. You know, they, they mail you gear every month. Do you get down with that stuff? You no, know, you know, I don't. And the only reason is, is because I am my own box. Meaning I'm ordering stuff on the internet almost every day. Um, I'm having people send me gear to test it. Like, hey, will you test this new holster? Will you tie this new flashlight? So if you looked at my office, it looks like a mad scientist or the Unabomber lives there, one or the other, just because there's so many uh, flashlights, knives, holsters, uh, gun magazines, gun oil, all kinds of stuff lying around I'm testing. I kind of want your job. That's awesome. Um, It it is not a bad way to make a living. I certainly can't complain. (laughs) All right, share with me other things that I can discover in this book. Uh, situational awareness, um, ways not to become a victim. Well, I'll tell you, one of the most important spy skills that anybody can use is called an SDR, and it stands for Surveillance Detection Route. And basically, the easiest way to look at it is if a spy is going to meet an asset, they're not just going to get in their car and drive directly from point A to point B. Because if somebody follows them, that means everybody gets exposed and people will get killed. So a surveillance detection route, SDR, means you're going from maybe your house to Starbucks to Walmart to the gym. Then you're going to go shopping, and then you're going to go to the meeting point. And the whole time you're going to these various areas, you're seeing if you have surveillance. You're trying to draw them out. Do I see, see the same car, the same people, and all that kind of stuff? And you can do things like go down one-way streets or you know, kind of channel them in these places, which makes it easy to pick up on surveillance. Uh, So I'll tell you a very quick story of how my wife used this um, once at Home Depot, because you can run SDRs on foot or in a vehicle. Hmm. So my wife's in Home Depot. She says there's some creepy guy staring at her in one of the aisles. So she goes to the opposite side of the store in lumber, and a few minutes later, same guy shows up. Well, then she goes to gardening, and again, the guy shows up. Then she goes to look at washers and dryers, the guy shows up. Well, at that point, she's run a five to ten minute SDR, and she knows it's you know not a coincidence. This guy's clearly following her. I was out of town at the time, so she just went and got a manager at Home Depot. The guy walked her to her car. She made sure she wasn't followed home, and we never saw the guy again. So I don't know you know who the person was, but all it took was her going through a, a few aisles, and she realized that yes, she was being followed, 
and that, you know, she needed somebody to walk her to the car to make sure she was safe. Wow. How practical to be aware of face recognition and see that, hey, this same person has now been near me several times. And it's not just like a grocery store where we happen to be on the same path from the milk to the meats to the produce. It's kind of scary story, but pragmatic because again some of this advice one would think well i don't need to know what a seal knows or i don't need to know what a you know cia spy knows but yet this is something you can use in your everyday life correct i mean it's easy to do i mean obviously in the agency you're very observant your head is up you're looking around um in the real world we know that you know 99 percent of people have their heads fall or their heads buried in their phone they're texting they're not looking where they're walking and that's the beauty of having the head up is i can spot surveillance I can spot danger ahead of time, meaning if some guy's coming at me, you know, uh, if you're trying to get uh, attacked in the Walmart parking lot, a good way to do that is just keep your head down the entire time so you'll never see him coming, which means you can never run away. So just keeping your head up solves a lot of problems in the first place. Is there anything specific or is it all just very similar, what you just described, for being a parent? You know, you're out with your child or you're observing your kids sitting on the bench in the park. You might not be playing on the jungle gym with them, but there you are just sitting there. What do most parents do? Whip the phone out and they're just kind of Facebooking while the kid's playing. Uh, what's your suggestion there as far as the experience you have and maybe things we can glean from this book? Yeah, so I've got, I've got four young kids. So I've taught them, and my oldest is six, so they're still very young. I've taught them what's age appropriate, you know, basically stranger danger type stuff. Um, one of the most important things I've taught them is the code word. Meaning, hey, if you're walking home from school and some guy rolls up and say, hey, mommy and daddy are sick, you need to get in the car, it's, they're supposed to say, okay, what's the code word? And obviously, if that guy doesn't give the code word, they're supposed to run away. Um, another thing, talking about parks, is there was the uh, bank robber. Who was it? I think it was John Dillinger when they asked him why he robbed banks, and he said, well, uh, because that's where the money is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the same thing with parks and little kids. You you can't get on the internet these days without a week going by hearing some kids snatched at a park. So the criminals know, okay, if I want to snatch a little kid, where are they going to be? So when my kids are playing at the park, it gets very crowded and busy. I'm not on my phone. I'm sitting there on the bench. I'm observing them, and I'm waiting to just make sure that nobody's coming near them because these attackers or kidnappers these days are – they're, they're not trying to hide it. They literally just walk up, grab somebody, and start dragging them away. And if you're not paying attention, your kid could disappear in a heartbeat. Mm. Very cool, Jason. I really appreciate that parent to parent. I've got little ones myself, and I find myself, you know, just always doing things with them. But I think too many of us become far too complacent and just sort of trusting our surroundings. And I don't want to strike fear and paranoia in people listening to this podcast, but at the same time, um, you know, it's our ultimate duty as a parent uh, to keep everybody safe. I mean, that's what we, you know, that's why we're on earth, man. That's our role. I mean, you're hundred percent right. And the thing is it never stops. I mean, I've got a six-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and I'm constantly having to remind them, well, the one one-year-old obviously doesn't talk or do anything, but my three-year-old was out the other day and I'm just watching her and I see somebody walking by with a dog and she starts chatting and she starts following this woman. And so I go up to her and I'm like, hey, kiddo, what are you doing? When this woman walked away, she's like, oh, she said she was uh, looking for another dog of hers. I was going to go help her look for a dog. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you're killing me. You know, obviously my <laughs> daughter's only three. Right, right. But I'm like, you know, and I, I repeat over and over again. Remember, you don't go with somebody if, you know, an adult ever talks to you and says to go look for their dog or something. You always come and ask mommy, daddy first and you know, constantly have to keep beating in their heads because, of course, they're kids. 
Love it. And uh, a lot of good advice uh, for the parent, for the child, and for just everyone. Uh, the book, again, Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life, author Jason Hansen, a former CIA officer, security specialist, and uh, just an all-around bad MF out there in Utah, man. I, <laughs> I appreciate you sharing all this with us. Where can I find more information about the book? You know, it's on Amazon. Just any major bookseller is Spy Secrets Can Save Your Life or Agent of Influence. You'll see all my books. so easy to find it. Jason Hansen, truly a pleasure to have you on the CV Report today, and uh, thank you for helping us keep it safe. You keep it safe as well. I certainly will. Thanks for having me. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 